einmal. Okay, the title of our session is The Journey of Love in the Midst of the Coming Disaster. So, as Lacey said, I hope you're ready for intense. We will be talking about martyrdom, but I know that since you probably even come to this conference, you have to be an intense bunch. Um, as Lacey said, I've been here um, from the beginning, and it's been my joy and privilege to be partnered with some of my heroes in this life. So let's just dive in. We, we don't have much time. I know you guys are just getting blasted. So, you know, here we go again. God has a dream in his heart. And I, my um, goal today is just to talk a little bit about that dream, the culmination of that dream at the second coming, and what part we have in that dream. I want to hopefully give us courage to run our race well. Each one of us has um, an intense race ahead, and so it would be my desire today to um, give you understanding of your race, give you understanding of the reward at the end, the prize at the end, to give you courage. I don't know about you, but you know, I like in, in the seasons of life to kind of have a heads up. You know, if you're, if you're going to go into a wilderness season, not that anyone wants to, but it sure is helpful if you could kind of read wilderness ahead. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. And really, with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to give us prophetic insight into the season that we are currently in, the season that we're headed into. Obviously, we're, there's going to be a lot of surprises on the way, but he delights to give us the knowledge of his will. Um, not only the big picture of the knowledge of his will, but personally for our life. And um, when I'm connected with his purpose for me in each season, boy, does it give me strength and courage to say yes. In the, in the good seasons, in the hard seasons, every season on this side has pain. Every season on this side says hardship. There's no such thing as the bliss season. There are seasons that are, that are you know, more full of, of joy maybe than others. But I love to find out, God, what season am I in? And what are your thoughts towards me in this season? What is the purpose for this season? And that gives me the grace and, and the courage and the ability to give myself to God with all my heart in that season. Make sense? So I'm just, I like to paint pictures. Today I want to narrow in to Jesus, the suffering servant. At the first coming... Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the second person of the Trinity, he came as a man. We know the story well. He's born in a manger. The unthinkable occurred that God became man, but God didn't just become man, but he went to the lowest place. What I am finding out more and more in my journey is the way that Jesus decided to come in the first coming, is what he's inviting us into. We know the verse well that when, Philippi, uh, when Paul talks in Philippians 3, that he would um, attain to the resurrection, he says, 
He says, oh, that I would know you in the fellowship of suffering. If you want to group it in a big way, and you might go, Deborah, this isn't exciting, but I'll, I, I want to make it exciting for you before this is over. You could almost group the whole season that we're on the earth as the fellowship of suffering to then attain to the power of his resurrection forever and ever and ever. When you just group it like that, it's like you just set your heart, you position it rightly. But what I like about this term, the fellowship of suffering that's found in Philippians 3, is the word fellowship. We get to communicate and encounter God in the midst of pain and perplexity and persecution. It's not that we just go through the pain. No, there wouldn't be a good reason for that. But as we encounter God in the midst of the suffering, oh, wow, love is perfected. God, in His infinite wisdom, has come up with the means to take us from weak, immature love to red-hot, boiling love. And in this master plan that He has, the, the way that He brings us into that is through the fellowship of suffering. But this is, this is going to be our joy before this is over. It's going to be exhilarating as we encounter the suffering servant in that place. In every season, I like to, to, you know, whatever I'm struggling with, I like to call upon that attribute of God to help me in that moment. Does that make sense? So I'm like, oh, Jesus, today's a hard day. Oh, oh, I'm... I'm I'm filled with fear right now. Oh, I need to know who you are. Oh, I need to, and, and, I, and I go and I want to actually find the attribute that's going to help me deal with my fear. And th- I'll go through this scripture and I'll go, okay, how can I encounter you right now? Okay, you say that perfect love casts out fear. So I go before my bridegroom God and I go, you are... My husband, oh God, show me more of this love. And as I encounter him in that place, I find that my fear is diminished. Does this make sense? So this is what we get to do. And what I want you to have um, to leave with today is the urgency of today. A lot of times we think about the end of the age. We kind of look at it and it's far off. And for many of us, we even romanticize it. We, we, we kind of get these great ideas of, wow, it's going to be awesome, and oh boy, is it going to be awesome. But we don't realize the place that our hearts have to be in. All of the, the wrestlings that have had to happen, all of the exercises that we've needed to do day in and day out to be ready and prepared when the end of the age is upon us. Deep darkness, it says in Isaiah 50. 50, excuse me, Isaiah 60, deep darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness covers the people. It is growing every day. And we have to be exercising our hearts today, getting ready, doing the drill, so to speak, so that when the end of the age is upon us, we're ready. Does this make sense? It doesn't just sneak up on us as a thief in the night, but suddenly when it comes, we're like, oh, Jesus. I have boldness now in the day of judgment. 
I love the verse in 1 John 4. It says that love has been perfected among us that in the day of judgment we will have boldness. What does that mean? Our inner man, when everything starts to come down, when Jesus shakes the earth violently, when his judgments are crashing in, when Satan is raging against the planet, we have might in our inner man. We are unmoved. The greatest test is upon us, and guess what? We've been made ready. How did that happen? It started way back in 2007, 2008. Those little drills, those little circumstances that we're in now, we're choosing love. We're choosing to resist those other things. We're, we're, we're going, okay, I have this in my heart. I have offense. I want to encounter you. And we're, we're doing the drills ahead of time. And then when it comes upon us, we're made ready. At the end of the day, you know, we talk about this subject of intimacy. Some in the body of Christ, they look down upon the subject. You say intimacy with God and they look at you like you are out, you know, it's, it's wrong. Intimacy with God is what is our power on the inside to face our everyday. We have to have the love of God. There is no option. And I believe, since we are soon approaching the second coming, the disaster that is around the corner, the only way is for us to have our focus each and every day to be receiving love from Him and loving Him back. That's the drill that we do day in and day out to get ready. So the suffering servant, Jesus, who came um, as a man and he walked the earth, he said yes to this poverty. He is inviting us to fellowship with him in that place. It says in Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but some of us have been grown up in the church and we've known that that verse since, since Sunday school. This verse is so extremely powerful. It's talking about where love took Jesus. Love took Jesus to give his life for his enemy. You know, we, we sing about the verse about laying down our life for our friends. How about laying down our life for our enemy? In the final generation, before Jesus returns, what it's going to look like is there is going to be a generation that first has been receiving love from God, then loving Him back, then learning how to love their husband or their wife, learning how to love their children, then learning how to love their neighbor, and then the heights, learning how to love their enemy, and at the end of the day, giving their life, not for their friend, their enemy. Martyrdom is going to be filling the earth, and we are going to give our lives, we are going to be so connected to His heart, 
that we actually feel his heart for our enemy to such a degree that we gladly, with rejoicing in our heart, give our life for our enemy. That's where love is going. The expression of love in the earth is going to be at its all-time high before Jesus returns. He's looking for a generation who will say yes to the heights, the depths, the length, the width of this love. He's looking for a generation that will so fellowship with him, that will so intimately know him as the suffering servant, that they will gladly go and give their life. Again, martyrdom is another thing that we romanticize. For me personally, when it comes to the decisions that I have to make on a daily basis, Am I saying yes to denying myself and loving someone else? Am I, you know, my husband, his name's Murray, if, if, when I'm having a conversation, am I fighting for Deborah's dream? Or with all of my life, am I getting behind his dream? Am I learning how to lay down my life for my husband in the day in and the day out? See, I'm ultimately doing that unto God. I'm ultimately saying, oh, I feel that you love me. Oh, Jesus, I open my heart wide. I want to love you back. And one of the ways that I love you back is by loving my husband as you love him. One of the ways that I love you back is by loving my girls. One of the ways I love you back is by loving my neighbor. One of the ways I will love you back one day is by learning how to love my enemy when they spit at me, when they despise me, when they reject me. You know, when you go into a room and you're not liked, the last thing that you want to do is open your heart up and make yourself vulnerable. The last thing that you want to do is just say, oh, I'm oozing with love. No, no. I mean, in fact, you are so irritated, your heart is completely shut down in the flesh. It takes the absolute Spirit of God in you to be able to open yourself wide and say, Oh, He loves you, and I love you. There is a drama that is being set up. The church is about to go through persecution. We're going to see a civil war in the body of Christ. It's going to be intense. It's, in 1 Timothy 4, it talks about the great apostasy coming. 2 Thessalonians 2 does too. And in, in these verses, we, we tremble as we read what is about to happen. Many in the body of Christ are going to turn away from Jesus. What does that mean? It means a civil war. It means persecution. It means that it's going to get pretty intense. In that place, we get to start exercising our heart in love. We, start, we get to start saying, okay, this is the pop quiz before the pop quiz before the real test. Let me grow in love today. Again, it starts with receiving love. Then we love them back. Then we learn how to love our families. Then we learn how to love our neighbor. Then we lear- lo- learn how to love our enemy. We get excited, and, and we should get excited about this expression of love filling the earth and what it's going to look like when, when God had written the plan in the Godhead before Genesis 1, 
there, there was this plan and there was going to be a consummation of love that was going to welcome Jesus back. It's awesome. From every tongue and tribe and nation, there's going to be voluntary lovers that are welcoming Jesus back. We're going to be giving our lives. But even as I say this, I tremble inside because as excited as I am, I want to be ready. I want to be counted worthy of that man. And we are going to see terror. It says that men's hearts will fail them for fear. I want to be one that recognizes what's about to happen. I want to be one that's been fellowshipping in the light and eagerly awaiting my husband. When other men are fainting with fear, I want to be one that has said yes to love so my heart's bold with strength in my inner man. And I say, oh, it, everything is being shaken. Yes, there are judgments. Yes, there is hardship. Yes, there's been a civil war. All of these things have taken place. But what does it mean? It mostly, ultimately means that my husband is returning soon. And there's going to be a wedding. But that begins again today. We have to begin to wrestle, to say yes, and let our hearts move through all the obstacles necessary to get us ready for that day. Our concept of suffering is very influenced by our culture. And experience. The New Testament, timeless in its inspiration, was written in an entirely different context. The early church believers before the institutional church began were grounded in the paradigm of eternity, a paradigm that decreased continually among believers through the centuries. We as Western believers are in every way a product of this gradual process of paradigm change. The absence of persecution and the presence of such comfort has given rise to a perspective of faith focused on earthly reward and impact. We have comfort at our fingertips, and my generation has not had much persecution. We don't even have the grid for what the early church was working with. See, the, the persecution that was going on was actually their greatest gift. What did it do? When there was persecution, it made them align themselves with eternity. It made them look to Jesus' appearing. It made them love it. It made them crave Jesus to come and return. It made them to live for that which lasts forever. It was actually used as a grace to keep them steadfast and focused on their journey. We haven't seen much persecution. <laughs> I say this sort of humorous. We will. That's good news. We are about to see persecution. And it will be, again, used as a gift to shake us out of our complacency, get us to not be mostly looking at this life, even the good things, the things that are supposed to be secondary, our impact. That's a good thing, but it's not primary. The, the good pleasures in this life, they're good. But they're not primary. This is a time when we're being tested, tried, and proved to be made ready for the King of Kings when He returns. We need, we desperately need this paradigm shift in our understanding. As a result of these notions being so ingrained in our understanding, we, re we respond to suffering in a dramatically different way than the apostolic church. 
as Mike said this morning, it's the size of our heart that matters, not the size of our ministry, the size of our mailing list, the size of our checkbook. Every day, the way that we should measure how we did is how much did I receive of your love today, Jesus? There you are, and you're so longing to show me in every different way what you think and feel about me. How did I do at receiving it? Did I move the other things out of my way? Did I listen? Did I take the adversity in my life and use it as an escort into your embrace? How did I receive your love today? And how did I love you back? That's the measure in which we should see our every day. The theology of the New Testament was one of a of sojourn, of pilgrimage. As sojourners and pilgrims, beloved by God, we are addressed in 1 Peter 2.11. Exhortations to righteousness in the epistles are constantly framed within the perspective of that day. The day of Christ when our blessed hope is realized. In a profound and fundamental way, our hope is to be set on the return of Jesus. As the suffering servant comes to us, he knocks on the door and he says, will you invite me in? Right now, everyone in this room has paid. So Jesus says to each one of us, I've gone ahead of you. I'm the one that's already gone to the depths. There's no place that I've gone. That, that I've gone to the deepest places. I've gone ahead of you. And I'm longing for friends in that place. See, this is another paradigm shift. When we understand that our time here is about getting to know Jesus in this fellowship, in that place, that those low places that he went, as he took up his cross, as he became the servant, as he became the meek one, as he was silent as a lamb unto the slaughter, this is my invitation to get to be his friend in that place. Does this make sense? Paul understood this. Paul was a brilliant man. He had, he was very, um, had great influence. He had great gifting. And Paul says, I count everything as rubbish. I want to know the meek man. I want to know how he did it. What power did he find in his fellowship with his father as he resisted the way of, of pride and said yes to humility? What kind of conversation was going on? What love was going on between the father and the son as he poured out his life for his enemy? That's the one that I want to know. And I only have the short time in this life because forever... We are going to be resurrected with Him in glory. It's now that I get to say, Oh, Jesus, I'm scared a little bit, but I want to open my heart wide. I want to, in the, in the hard circumstances and all the different testing, I want to say yes, and I want to encounter you in this place that I could fellowship with you here. I don't want to run away from you when I'm in pain. I want to write, run straight to your heart. When people come against me, when I'm persecuted, oh Jesus, you know what it's like to be persecuted. 
Oh, you were the one that was rejected. You were the one that was despised. You were the one that came to your own and your own did not receive you. Jesus, oh, could, could you invite me to know you in that place? Because for all of eternity, we will be able to fellowship in the heights of glory according to how deep I went in the fellowship of suffering. My friendship with Jesus for billions and billions and billions of years is affected by how much I say, I say yes to the fellowship of suffering in this life. Does this make sense? We're going to talk a little bit more about the fellowship of suffering. This is, I, I know this is a hard message, but remember you came because you wanted intense. We talked about persecution. This is the suffering of Jesus' friends at the hands of, a wick, of wicked men. And again, there's unprecedented persecution coming. It's clear in Scripture that there's going to be great persecution before Jesus returns. So as we draw nearer to the return of Jesus, obviously persecution is going to increase. There's the, the suffering of longing. Longing is the suffering of the soul. There is a deep groan and burden we must endure until he comes and we enter in to the destiny God has for us. We have all of these longings in our heart. They're deep groanings. Because we were created in the image of God, we are longing for God. We are groaning for him. And in this life, we're in the delay. Yes, he does come to us but not fully. He fully comes to us in the second coming. And so there is just a suffering. The day that we say yes to Jesus, we've entered into a groan. Jesus, it's not okay until you come. It's not okay until I'm with you forever. Jesus, I ache and I groan. And there's a pain in that groan. Does that make sense? That's part of our suffering. There's just pain. And this is the suffering of circumstance, discomfort, disappointment, sickness. These are to be understood as temporary and passing and designed by God to lead us into a deeper awareness of eternity. My dear friend Shelly, who's the one that emcees this conference with Mike, she's been through a great journey of suffering. She's experienced um, the heights, the depths of, of abuse of every kind of abuse you can think of. The first time that she shared her testimony with me, I, I, I was actually surprised by my response, but the Lord, His presence was on me and I was weeping. And I, was, I said, Shelly, I'm envious of your story. Her jaw dropped. You're envious of my story? I said, because every wound, every affliction, every pain has become your escort into eternity. I said, see, for many of us who've just gone to church or just in our little Western world, we have a lukewarm heart. We're just going through business as usual. I said, but you have so much pain that if you don't find eternity every day, you can't live another day. I said, I'm envious of that. She has had the ability to encounter Jesus. In that place, everything that has been done against her, she used that pain and brought it to him. 
And let me just say on the flip side, woe to the enemy when Jesus comes on that day. Even for my shelling. Oh, the vindication. See, he is pent up. He is also a judge. He is the king of kings. And one day he will make everything right. All the wrong things will be made right. And so for my friend Shelley, everything that has been done against her, he will take everything and with vengeance he will destroy her enemy. She's looking for that day. But until then, she's able, because she knows that day is coming, she's able to fully give him her heart today. And said, oh, I want to fellowship with you in this place. I don't want to waste this pain. I don't want to waste this, what's been done against me. I'm going to take these hard things that really are hard. There's no way around them. And I'm going to use it as my escort into encounter. There's unprecedented pain that is coming at the end of the age. Again, we're doing the drills. We're getting ready. There's two things that move the human heart the most, and that's beauty and that's pain. We are going to see the show of all shows. The curtain to the final act of the drama is about to open and put on your seatbelt. It's going to be awesome. At the end of the day, I love in Revelation 15, we will be on that sea of glass mingled with flaming fire. After all this has happened, we will be there with all of the saints and we will be saying, great and marvelous are your works, O God. Just and true are your ways. Oh, Jesus, you led me perfectly through the dark night of faith. Oh, how perfect you used the least severe means to take me to the deepest place of love. Oh, you are so kind in the way that you lead me. Every step was cloaked with such mercy. I will not be offended when I'm standing on that sea of glass. I will be trembling and wanting to fall like the seraphim do, saying, Oh, it was perfect. It's wonderful. Your leadership. Oh, Jesus. Yes, You are the worthy lamb. You are fully God and you're fully man. And because you so understand my frame, because you went ahead of me, and because you're fully God, oh, you are the rightful leader of the human race. Oh, you are. You are the rightful leader of the human race. I love the way you lead me. See, in Revelation 15, it gives us a sneak preview of what's going to happen so that we can start agreeing with it now. Probably every one of us in our life have something that's happening where we just, we don't know why. We're like, God, you know, if I were God, I would do it a little different. I I don't really like this. It's hard. Really, God, is this this it? Like, I, I just don't get it, and I can't make sense of it. Others in here, we've had promises spoken over our lives, and we're still waiting. We've been waiting for years for the promises to come to pass. We are going to say on that day, oh, Jesus, the way you led me each day, each minute, oh, it was perfect. It was perfect. I hang on to that today. That's the eyes of eternity. Does that make sense? That's where I am not looking to the right or to the left. I'm looking to the author and the finisher of my faith. And I'm saying, 
Oh, your leadership is good over me today. That's an exercise of the heart. That's a muscle that I'm working. Because one day, earthquakes are going to happen. All these people are going to die. It says in, in Revelation, um, uh, I just went blank, 9.15, it says that one-third of the earth is going to die. Talk about having questions. The earth is going to be filled with questions. Who are you anyway? The, the, the church, it will be in such a, a vulnerable place. So many at that point will say, if this is who God is, then I'm not with him. Who will be ready to be standing in that day who's already done all the exercises of love so that in that moment, with might in their inner man, with bold love, they'll say, oh, he's beautiful, he's awesome, he's so brilliant, he's wise. Oh, do not turn away from him right now. And with authority on their mouths, the people who are in that valley of decision will say, okay, let me think about it a little bit more then. As I'm asking my question, who, who in this room is going to be made ready? Does this make sense? There's two things. We're, we're, we are getting our hearts prepared for Jesus. But as we get our hearts prepared, then we ourselves will be prepared to prepare the others. The hour is urgent. We don't have time to waste. The early church had their focus on eternity. Our focus needs to change from our impact here or our earthly reward to the return of Jesus. Rather than assuming the attitude that we are being treated unjustly by God or by man, we need to see it as our glory. It says, um, I'm going to read it in a second, but this stunning verse, it says that we rejoice according to how much suffering we are, uh, how much of the sufferings of Christ we have said yes to. The level and amount of joy in our hearts is actually according to how much suffering we have said yes to for Jesus' name. That's, that's like, again, in our Western Culture, we're, we're not used to that. We're like, what? Well, really? That's the level of my joy? That's how I know how happy I am? Is how much I have said yes to the sufferings of Jesus? Yes. Because then it says that the spirit of glory rests upon us. The spirit of glory, the very spirit of God rests upon us as we say yes. There's all sorts of involuntary pressures and circumstances in our life. When I say involuntary, they're outside of our control. The only thing that we can do is say yes to God in the midst of them and learn what it is to fellowship with Him in the midst of it. Turn it into conversation with Him. And this is how the Spirit of glory rests upon us. Let's quickly, as, as I'm closing, I just want us to look at the bride in Song of Solomon 5. Song of Solomon 5, I believe, I, I just want to give this to you. If you're not familiar with Song of Solomon, I encourage you to get all the teaching on it. It's phenomenal. It'll change your life. I believe it's a book that the God is really highlighting in these last days. In Song of Solomon 5, 
It gives us a prophetic picture of what I believe we're going to go through at the end of the age. It's, it's not only a prophetic picture. It has all, all of the players. We kind of get to see it's like a little drama that we're inside of. We're the bride. Jesus is there. We have watchmen who are striking us. And we have daughters of Jerusalem who are looking to us as an example. So we've got all the players, and we get to see what our dialogue with Jesus looks like in the midst of great suffering. What is Jesus saying to me, and what am I saying back to him? Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, we don't have to be lost when we're in the place of, of great pain. When we find ourselves in that, in that fellowship of suffering, I want to know, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And what can I say back to you? And, I, and Song of Solomon is like that springboard into this awesome place of, of revelation where we get to encounter him in this place. We don't have time to go into it. But Jesus comes to her. And she's just said the most amazing prayer. She's asked him. Talk, talk about bold. She's just asked him for trouble. She says in Song of Solomon 4, verse 6, she says, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. She's saying something unbelievable. She's saying, Jesus, until I see you on that day, the myrrh is speaking of his suffering. I will go my way into that place of suffering. But in that place of suffering, I will also go to the hill of frankincense, which speaks of her life of prayer. She says, I want to say yes, Jesus, to all the places that love led you. I want love to lead me. And I want a fellowship with you in that place. I want us to talk and you to love on me and me to love back on you as we, as we join in this fellowship. Jesus, where did love take you? I want to go to those places. Show me. Let me take up my cross and follow you. Now, obviously, we never go to the, to the ultimate expression. Jesus came as the mediator. He washed us of our sins. We will never go to the place that he went to. But to as much as we will say yes to this suffering, we will have love grow and deepen in us. So she says, I want to go. Then she says in verse 16, she says, Awake, north winds, and come south. The north winds speak of adversity. The south winds speak of, of that refreshing. She says, I, I understand the, the way that you lead. And somehow in your, in your leadership, you've decided that it takes these obstacles, these challenges, all of these different pressures to get my heart made ready for you. This is the very oven in which love grows. This is the very fire in which love is, gonna be, um, is going to abound in me. So she says, so as much as it scares me a little bit, awake adversity. But Jesus, as the adversity comes, oh, be so near to me. You are my comfort. You are my life. You are the, what I live and breathe. Jesus, be near to me in the midst of the suffering. But this is what I want. I am asking you. I'm not on the other side where I'm offended no, I've come all the way to the other side, and even though I don't know what I'm asking, awake adversity. 
Awake hardship. Awake those pressures. Whatever it takes, Jesus, because you know my weak frame. And you know what it's going to take to take me from this immature place of love to love you with all my heart, to love you with maturity. Because when you come in that day, I want to be one that gives you the glory that is due you. So may the spirit of glory rest upon me now. I rejoice. My, my gladness and my rejoicing is according to how much I have said yes to this fellowship of suffering. Does this make sense? Now this is supposed to encourage us. We've got a great road ahead. I believe that the generation before the Lord returns will be the joy, most joyful generation that has ever lived. It'll be like John the Baptist who said, my joy has been made full in you. We will be dancing and singing and full of joy. We might be in the greatest conflict, in the greatest hardship, going through the most pain, but we will be radiant in love, full of righteousness, abounding in love, eagerly awaiting the return of our Jesus. It's a glorious time to be alive. The fact that you were born in this generation is, is an awesome privilege, in my opinion. Oh boy, we just don't even have time. Um, read Song of Solomon 5. But here Jesus, after he responds to her, and I just I want to read this real quick. He says, I have come to my garden. This is speaking of her heart. My sister, my bride, I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. Inside of her, she has so said yes that he is finding that fellowship with her. See, Jesus is looking for friends. And so it's only according to what we say yes to, the, the level of our maturity, that we can actually fellowship with him. Does this make sense? He is light. So every step closer, we have to say yes to the light and no to the darkness in order to be dwelling and, and um, relating to him. Does this make sense? So he's looking for friends in this place. And he's going, oh, she knows. Father, she's got a little bit of understanding of what it felt like. We get to fellowship together. Her heart is growing in love. Father, look at the way that she's loving me right now. We get to, we get to talk as friends. I'm not just talking to a servant anymore. I'm not just talking to a soldier in my army. I'm talking to my friend and now as, as we are relating in this way and she is my friend she's getting to know my heart for even her enemies and now the ultimate expression of love is about to happen and she's going to say yes to giving her life for her enemy and the, the culmination it, it just starts building and building and building and at the very end of this Jesus says father do you think it's time? Look, from every tongue and tribe and nation, there are those that are burning with affection for me. Father, they've resisted the enemy. Father, they haven't bought into the lies before they've even seen me. They have been saying yes to love, many of them for years and years and years. They've not lost heart. They've said steadfast on the journey. Father, look, could it be time that I could go? Could it be time, Father, that I could go and be with her forever, no longer separated? 
that I could take all the weeping, all the mourning, all of the suffering, and forever there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. Father, could the marriage supper of the Lamb begin? And the Father, he waits for the numbers of martyrs to be filled, That whatever that number is. He waits for those bowls to be filled with the, pray- the prayers of the saints, and he says, okay, son. And here we are on the earth and we're looking. We've been looking for for our whole life. We've been loving the day of his appearing. And the day finally comes. And when we see him on that day, we're not ashamed. We have boldness in the day of judgment. Our hearts are filled with love. Love has been perfected in us. Perfect love has cast out every fear. And here we are and we have been made ready for our husband. Amen. Let's stand.